Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I think I'll start with what went down Saturday night. We talked about the fight at length on Friday. In fact, we talked about it all week long, and then it happened. If you thought Kobe Covington was annoying and insufferable or worse before Saturday night, you are in for a few really, really rough months and probably years because after he dominated my guy Jorge Masvidal, there is no way in hell this guy's going to stop talking now. Not now and probably not ever. The buildup to Covington Masvidal at UFC 272 was pretty much unlike anything ever before. You know, a lot of times you have guys hyping fights, guys making up a feud. Maybe they don't like each other. Maybe they really lean into it. But that's not what this was about. These guys did not manufacture anything. These guys did not have any of this contrived. This was an actual blood feud. These were two guys who really did hate each other. Really did. That's why we kept hearing about things like Matt Herpes, Masvidal talking about Covington leaving the arena for a hospital, you know, things like that. And then we get the fight itself. Now, I know I always say that nothing ever lives up to the hype, but trust me, when you have all that talk leading up to that fight, there was no way it was going to live up to the hype. Nothing could unless jaws were getting shattered, unless guys were going straight to the hospital or to the morgue. Anything short of that, and it was going to be anticlimactic. And so Covington's unanimous decision pretty much had that feel. He dominated the fight start to finish. He never let Gamebred get any space whatsoever. He never let Masvidal be Masvidal. So whether we want to or not, we have to talk about Covington. Now, I know Colby Covington is not for everybody. In fact, he might not be for anybody at all. Colby Covington might only be for Colby Covington. I mean, like, you know things are bad when your boss, Dana White, is saying things like this. I don't know if I've had any bad words to say about him. I said he's a <laughs> That's not a bad word. No, he's a <laughs> Does anybody disagree with that? I mean, I, he not. would probably even agree with that. <laughs> I mean, what a quote. It takes a special level of a-hole for the boss to come right out and say he's an a-hole. And that's not just Dana saying that Colby is an a-hole. That's Dana saying that he thinks that Covington is an a-hole. And so does everybody else, including Covington himself. But if we're all being honest, we have to all own the fact that that a-hole can fight. That is the only conclusion that you can come to after Saturday night. And unless the guy he's fighting is Kamal Usman, not only can this guy fight, he can and will win. He's gone nearly six and a half years without losing to anybody not named Usman. So you can say that his whole rap is just an act, something he does just to make a name for himself and sell fights, and that he assumed that role as a heel. You can say it's awful. You could say it's corny as hell. You could say it's dumb as hell. You could say it's cringy as hell. It's probably all true. Just know it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets any better, especially after Saturday night. I mean, do you really think this guy is going to dial it down after beating a guy he hates that much? Hell no, he's not. And the thing is, it actually does work for him because that act, if it is an act, does not stop people from buying his fights. Some people actually do like this guy and his act. And plenty more probably wanted to see his allegedly herped up face get broken. In fact, I know people did. I know for a fact people bought that pay-per-view hoping to see his herped up face allegedly get more herped up and broken. See, the fact is there were a ton of people that loved Masvidal, that were rooting for Masvidal. I'm one of them. I'll own it. And then you got a number of people who really don't care that much about game bread, but were just there rooting for Covington to get a ride in an ambulance to the hospital when it was over. But that was never going to happen. And look, I make no secret of this. I'm paid not to root. I root for content, and nobody does content like Jorge Masvidal. He is one of the most compelling, fascinating guys to talk to in any sport. But 
Covington did exactly what you would expect a heavy favorite to do. Yes, I was rooting for Masvidal. Yes, I said as much Friday on this program. But no, I was not surprised by the outcome. Like I said Friday, Covington might not be a good dude, but he's a great fighter. I said I never root, but I'm rooting for Gamebred because he's one of my favorite dudes. But I also said the guy's definitely in deep with this guy, and he was. He was a big underdog, and he got beat. I bet him to win. If it's anybody other than Jorge Masvidal, I would never bet the underdog in that case. But I love the guy, and I bet him, and I bet him with my heart. But I'm also not stupid. I went in with my eyes wide open, and I went in knowing how dangerous the opposition was, and he showed it. And the fact is, nobody's more disappointed than Masvidal. Like, as an example, I know Drake... Drake lost 275 gur on that fight. But Masvidal himself probably would have happily paid double out of his own pocket to beat the crap out of Colby and get the win. It just didn't happen. Masvidal said before that fight that Covington was, quote, going to sniff my crotch all night long, end quote. And he was right. Covington took Masvidal down time and time and time again, six times in five rounds. So if, quote, sniff my crotch all night long is code for wrestling, there was a lot of crotch sniffing going on. And unfortunately, Masvidal was helpless to stop the crotch sniffing. Masvidal said this. He's a bitch. That's it. You know, the bitch could wrestle, though. Quote, that was after the fight. He's a bitch. He's a bitch, but that bitch can wrestle, though. See, and, you know, the bitch can wrestle, though. And that's why there's only one Jorge Masvidal. Even in defeat, he can drop a great line like that, but he's right. Covington can wrestle. The thing is, he didn't just win with his wrestling. He also hit Masvidal quite a bit. In fact, he landed more than twice as many strikes as Masvidal. So while you're so concerned about this guy getting the fight to the ground and taking you down, he's punching you in the face. This is what makes this guy so good. And if you hated him and his act before that fight, like I said, good luck with that because it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets any better. In fact, based on what he was saying after the fight, it's never going to get better. Covington's not going away anytime soon, and he's only going to get louder. This is how he started the post-fight interview. I just took care of Miami street trash. Now it's time to take care of Louisiana swamp trash. Where are you at, Dustin Poirier, you I'll see you soon. You're next. This is what you'd expect, right? And by the way, I've seen the early odds on a possible fight between he and Poirier. And I love Dustin. We don't need that fight. I've seen the odds already. He's an even bigger. Covington is an even bigger favorite in that fight than he was Saturday night. And Saturday night was not competitive. So we really don't need to see that fight. I know he wants that fight. I can't imagine Dana White is that enthused about that fight or anybody else for that matter. And then once he got off of those two, he then turned his sights to Drake. Let's talk about all the, the money that Drake lost tonight. He needs to go back to, you know, selling those albums to get back the money he should have went to america's pick of the week by my bookie i tried to give the people the pick of the week i'm america's champ and i was america's pick of the week drake you suck at sports betting go back to your little albums of rapping uh, i mean that's almost kind of funny drake you suck at sports betting go back to your bleeping little albums i, I need to hear that actually one more time alvin Let's talk about all the, the money that Drake lost tonight. He needs to go back to, you know, selling those albums to get back the money. He should have went to America's Pick of the Week by my bookie. I tried to give the people the pick of the week. I'm America's champ, and I was America's Pick of the Week. Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. You suck at sports betting. Go back to your crappy little albums and rapping. You need to sell more of your crappy little albums to get your money back that you lost on me. So, this guy's going in on Poirier, Drake, Masvidal's ex-wife. Did he go after anybody else? Is there anybody else that I missed? Yeah, of course he was not going to change coming out of that fight. And neither was my guy, Jorge. It just sucks because this idiot talked about my kids, you know. He's still somebody, if I see him out in the streets, I'm going to give him everything I got to break his 
jaw, you know? I still think he's a fucking bitch, you know? Jorge was upset. You could tell he was really disappointed in the way that went. And you might even argue that when he's saying, if I see this guy in the street, he talked about my kids, he talked about my ex-wife, if I see this guy in the street, I'm still going to do everything I can to break his bleeping jaw. And the thing is, many of you would say, really, you had your chance, you had five rounds. But Jorge's from the streets. I think he would. I think as long as that fight does not go to the ground in the streets, Jorge might break his jaw. But it, again, if it goes to the street, or if it goes to the ground, it's not going to go well. Hey, by the way, this is the only way you're going to get this guy to stop talking. By actually breaking his jaw. And even that probably wouldn't work. Like, you could wire this cat's jaw shut, and he'd still be cringy as bleep. In fact, I know it won't happen. Because it already happened. Usman did break his jaw in their first fight. And that shut him up for what? A second? Maybe two? So the fact is, you can gloss him trollby. You can call him cringy. And you may even be right. Just don't say this guy can't fight, because he can. The question is, who, not named Usman, is left? Now you ask me, I already told you, he called out Dustin... We've already seen the early odds on that fight, meaning we don't want to see that fight. To me, here's the one I'd pay money for. Well, hell, i pay money for all of them. But here's the one I'd pay Big Jack for. And I'm not sure that it makes sense yet, but it's already got my attention. Covington versus the winner of Burns Chemaev. That's something I want to see. In the meantime, be prepared for Covington to continue to give the rest of us the cauliflower ear and make our ears bleed because that's not going to change anytime soon. This guy is not going to stop talking or being cringy or spewing all of that. That's something you can't take to the bank. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? He is Matt Norlander. Matt, my man. Let me put it to you this way, Matt. Bids are already being handed out. The big conference tournaments start this week. We are now less than a week from Selection Sunday. So, Matt, how you living? How's your life right now? Busy as hell. Wonderful to be back in the Jungle Gym. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, just got a quick, got a quick workout on the bike. Because, listen, March, best month of the year. But you got to try and find a time to squeeze in some calorie burning when you can. So uh, I'm good to go and ready to talk some hoops, man. Dude, motion is lotion. Movement is medicine. Good to get that work in. All right, so before we get into this week and what lies ahead, let me ask you about Saturday night at Duke. What was the scene like on campus and in Cameron Indoor before Coach K's final home game started? It was pretty awesome, although i got to admit, I got there Thursday for the press availability, and, uh, you know, Krzyzewskiville had been taken down. The tents were taken down, which is apparently customary for the last home game of the season when they host Carolina, which obviously happens every other year. So that was a little bit of a surprise for me. But by the time we got to Saturday morning and into the afternoon, Duke's campus did have that, like, SEC tailgate, big buzz kind of vibe. And I made sure to get into Cameron Indoor about three hours, three and a half hours before it was scheduled to tip. Wanted to see how the building filled up. You know, just that energy slowly but surely building. And the coolest moment of the night was when, you know, you had 96 former players come out, form a tunnel. I got to be honest, it was, I was sitting, you know, as the press sits right there on the floor at Cameron Indoor. And so I've got Christian Leitner maybe 15 feet from me, Quinn Cook, Tennessee, Grayson Allen right next to him. And you had guys in their 60s along with guys in their early 20s kind of, you know, breaking out their phones, exchanging laughs and smiles, and just all of these generations worth of Duke players. And I know Duke's a polarizing program. I know Coach K has, you know, he built up the absolute uh, monolith among all college basketball programs, and so he's a bit of a polarizing figure because of that. But you couldn't help but be in awe of just everyone that had come through there. Almost half of his former players 
made the time, made sure to get back. And so that was cool before we got into the oh, by the way of it, you know, as I wrote Saturday for CBSSports.com. It, it was unthinkable, Jim, that you could ever have a Duke Carolina game where one of the teams actually, you know, involved in the game was an afterthought, kind of like a, I guess we got to invite you here, but we got this huge retirement party. So just, you know, come on, come on, come over for 40 minutes, do what you got to do, but just quietly, please exit if you could. North Carolina had no interest in that and pulled off what I think has to be the most satisfying win in this rivalry's history, probably for either side, because you only get one chance to spoil Coach K's farewell, and the Tar Heels did just that. Well said, Matt Norlander is joining us. Matt, you just got into what I was going to ask you about. Like, given the pomp and the circumstance and the pageantry and the fact that all these all-time greats came back and what was at stake, I mean, North Carolina may have seven national championships. They have been to countless Final Fours, and they've had lots of huge wins in the history of their program, but that's a Carolina team that was on the bubble dealing with Duke in Coach K's final game. How the hell did they pull that off? And where would you rank that amongst their great wins? I mean, it's it's got to it's got to be it might be the best North Carolina regular season win in its history when you consider it's Duke. This has a case to be the best rivalry in all of American sports. And yes, it was it was in a very big spot from an NCAA tournament eligibility standpoint. Obviously, how'd they do it? How about this? This is a stunning stat that I learned after the game. So Carolina had four players go for twenty or more in this. It had never in it. This is North Carolina basketball. It had never had a game in which four Tar Heels scored 20 or more in a game. And they did it on this night of all nights. Brady Manick had 20. R.J. Davis had 21. Caleb Love had 22. And Armando Baycott had 23. And it was, uh, it was wild to see in person in this regard. A lot of people thought the game would start with, you know, just a little bit of bumpiness on both sides because it had that huge environment. I mean, Jim. It costs you more on average to get into that game than it did if you wanted to go to the Super Bowl, okay? It's the most expensive ticket in the history of organized basketball as far as everyone's concerned. So you figure with all of this surrounding this game, it might be a little bit shaky to start. Carolina really wasn't shaky. Up 9-2, up 11-4, and then eventually a Duke push comes, and they go on a 14-0 run. They get a decent lead, and then North Carolina doesn't wilt. They got into two at halftime, and then the second half, they were out of their minds. They shot almost 60% from the floor. And they did not sub out for the entire second half. I talked with assistant coach Brad Frederick on the phone about an hour and a half after the game, after they had taken the party to Franklin Street. And he called, he called Manic Davis, Love, Leaky Black, Armando Beacott. That's their iron five. 20 minutes, the entire second half, no second half subs. And then they pulled away. I think most people don't realize that Duke went into that game with four losses by a combined nine points. They dropped this game at home in Coach K's farewell by 13 and in the process, UNC, in my opinion, locks up a bit. There's no case to keep North Carolina out. It's obviously into the uh, ACC tournament comfortably. There's the three seed. You know, another win will do good for its seed line, but they're not keeping Carolina out. That was a humongous win and really one of the all-time more memorable games in college basketball regular season history because Kay was retiring and all of that stuff. But I think for the rivalry, you couldn't have had a better result. You know, it, it was surprising, shocking. And if we're being objective about this, it's also kind of hilarious. Like, Going into that game, North Carolina was given as little of a shot as maybe it ever has in the history of this rivalry, and then it wins by 13. And they have that fan base can hold that over Duke's fans forever, and that to me is great for that rivalry and great for college basketball. Matt Norlander is joining us. I mean, it is wild, right? So having said all that, I'm really curious. Not only did they lose to Carolina, not only did they lose to Carolina the way they did, but of course, Matt, there was a post-game ceremony planned as well. What was your sense as to what Coach K's mood was like during that ceremony? Okay, so we really ran the gamut here, so I'll be quick on this. But the game ends, everyone walks off the floor, Carolina's celebrating, you know, there was also like the, the controversy that, that most didn't realize in the moment where, you know, you didn't have a Duke assistant, Chris Carroll shaking Hubert Davis's hand, whatever. Uh, I'm not into, you know, litigating handshakes any more than we already have this season. But they walk off, it's about six, seven minutes before Mike Krzyzewski and the team walks back out understandably so, the Duke players, first of all, they go and they sit on the Carolina bench where the same spot where those guys were, like, thrilled celebrating before. They're sitting on the opposing team's bench. They look like, you know, I've covered, you know, a dozen NCAA tournaments. I've seen that look before. That is the look of a team that just got knocked out of the big dance. Obviously, that's not the case. Duke is going to be a really good seed and has a chance to win a national championship. But that juxtaposed with they had this whole post-game ceremony, which is the tricky part. 
you want to plan a retirement ceremony around a basketball game, sometimes this might happen to you. So Krzyzewski kind of pivots in the moment. And I actually appreciated him doing this, even though it gave people more reason again to say, this is why I don't like Duke. This is why I don't like this guy, because he was not, he is a fierce, fierce competitor. And I don't think it's like he is on the level. I think Nick Saban carries this reputation consistently. And it's not that Kate doesn't. It's just that there's a bit more of a, um, how how should I put this? It's more like of a basketball royalty vibe around Kay and Duke. Whereas like Saban's always like, I can't believe we have to play in this national championship game. I should be recruiting right now kind of deal. Kay is just as much of a killer. And so after they lose that game, obviously he's furious, right? And so he wants to tell the crowd, listen, what just happened here? Like, I know we got to do this whole thing right now. And you're going to give me a bench and all this stuff. It's flat unacceptable. And the crowd in that gym, it was awkward because the crowd wants to be like, listen, we understand you lost, but let, let us give you a standing ovation. Let us cheer for you and what you've done here for 42 years. But you really, I thought you got a, a very honest, accurate viewpoint into how Mike Krzyzewski is built mentally. He was pissed. He was not satisfied whatsoever with the fact that he lost by 13 at home to Carolina. Remove all of the stuff with the ceremony altogether. So, I know it made for probably a little bit of awkward viewing. I can just tell you in the arena, it was an odd energy. And then, you know, you had 20 minutes of, of all the plaudits and all that stuff. And there were some really, really good moments there. And he was turning the page toward the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament. He said, listen, the season's not over. You know, we won the regular season championship. We had a disappointing night here, but we still got time. And I'm not ready to go yet. And obviously, you know, we got another three, four weeks with him before he uh, he walks away for good. Hey, Matt Triffle, you've done a brilliant job of breaking that down. I could keep asking you and keep firing questions at you about that, but before I let you go, I want to get your thoughts on a few more things. When you look at the sport overall going into the final week before Selection Sunday, how do you break down the NCAA field right now as you see it? In other words, when you see the top six teams on the same day, are there any elite teams or any separation in your mind? Uh, there's not a ton, but let me, let me really expand the picture for you here and, and your listeners, because here's what I think we're headed toward with this NCAA tournament, you know, starting eight days from now, last selection Sunday, all that stuff. I think we've got, no, is there an elite team? No, but there's a lot of really, really, really good teams. Like I'm just telling you, there are more good players in contention to be first team, second team, third team, all Americans than I've seen in a long time. And I'm going to tell you right now that Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, Baylor, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Villanova, Purdue, they can all win it. Illinois can win the national championship. That, that's, I, Texas Tech will have a say. Tennessee is not unthinkable. I'm just telling you, Jim, like even UConn, which I wouldn't put in that group, I think UConn's going to win the Big East tournament this weekend. I'll be there in New York City at the Big East and the ACC tournaments kind of ping-ponging back and forth between Manhattan and Brooklyn. I think we're in for a very compelling tournament because even though we don't have a Gonzaga-Baylor 1A, 1B, like we did a year ago, which was thrilling and rewarding in and of itself when we had a unique NCAA tournament. This year, I just think the one line, the two line, and the three line are going to be so loaded. And that's evidenced by, if you just look at what these teams are doing, Baylor's the reigning national champion. Gonzaga has Chet Holmgren, a top three pick. Drew Timmy, a top ten player in America. Everyone's familiar with him. Arizona, under Tommy Lloyd, is on pace to become a number one seed. He'd be the third head coach in history to get a one seed in this first season as a head coach. And Arizona is capable of killing teams. Auburn's got Jabari Smith to be the number one pick. Walker Kessler might be the best defensive player in the country. Kentucky has the front runner for national player of the year, Oscar Sheboy. Cal's built that team differently than any other that he's had before off of older guys and transfers. It's not a bunch of one-and-dones on Kentucky. Kansas has Ochai Abaji. He's one of the five best players in America, and it's Kansas. It's Bill Self. They're always on the one or two line practically every single season. Obviously, Duke is Duke. And then you've got Wisconsin, which slipped a little bit, but Johnny Davis is a top three player in America. Keep going down the list. I haven't even gotten to Providence, which just won the Big East regular season for the first time in its history. Ed Cooley, friend of the jungle, top three coach of the year candidate. They win close games. I don't know if there's a team better suited and better built to actually withstand the intensity and environment of the NCAA tournament the way that Providence is. I do think we've got some strong teams on the 8-9-10 line that are projected right now. Just one example, real quick. Tonight, you're going to see San Francisco play Gonzaga. Gonzaga will probably win that game. But San Francisco probably has a top 10 backcourt in terms of matchup in the country. And if San Francisco loses, it'll probably be in the 8-9 game. That is a nightmare of a team that to face if you're a one seed and they get through to the second weekend. So, I don't know. I get the sense, Jim, we are due for a – the tournament always delivers. But it just feels like we, get, we might get more high-level, high-energy, highly competitive games this year than we've seen in five, six, seven tournaments because a lot of these guys are older. Remember, 
they got the bonus here because of COVID. So guys that otherwise might have moved on, they returned to college, and that's, as a result, the product has actually been a lot better this season. Dude, you have never been better. You're on fire. Matt, one last thought. Give me a Cinderella. I know – well, I know already who you like. You like North Texas. Is that a team we should be watching, and if so, why? Yeah, get out, let's go North Texas. I have to mention Murray State because – and, oh, by the way, John Morant's alma mater is 30-2. and two. There's no team with more wins and fewer losses in the country than Murray State, but they're going to be on the seven line, I think, and they're going to be a trendy pick to, to, to beat the two in whatever region. I'm thinking there'll be a seven. But let's go with North Texas. Coached by Grant McCathlin, has an extensive background at the JUCO level, the D2 level, but he was also on Scott Drew's staff. They play the slowest ball in the country. They kind of play like Virginia, okay? If that turns you off, well, that's your problem because you know what? If you have fewer possessions, you enhance your ability to win games. So North Texas had a conference USA. They won last year in the NCAA tournament. They beat Purdue from a 13 line. They've got the ability to do it again. I would keep an eye on them because they've got a really good shot. And then I'm going to give you one more here because we got this game coming up tonight. Chattanooga plays Furman. That's out of the SOCON. Either of those teams getting in. One of them's going to get the auto bit tonight. Either of them. I think they'll both be on the 13 line. Chattanooga is absolutely for real. I'm trying to give you a couple of teams outside of the ones like South Dakota State didn't lose in its, its conference tournament. Those are going to be a bit trendy. I'm trying to give you a little bit under the radar. So the winner of the SoCon, I think, would, uh, would shape up well as a Cinderella as well. And, uh, yeah, man, is it March? Best month of the year. Hope I, I hope I didn't ramble too much for you, Jim. I'll I'm tell just, you what, I'm brother. Go, okay? um, no, I'll Let's tell you what. Hey, you, you did great. It's a good thing you got on that bike first. Well done. You're taking care of yourself. It's your time of year. He's a senior writer and a college basketball analyst for CBS Sports, co-host of CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt, not only did you not ramble, you have never been better on this show than you just were. Matt, have yourself a week, and we'll do it again soon. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, Jim. Talk to you Listen, soon. the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com slash sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Kyrie Irving was back in Boston yesterday, and that went pretty much exactly how you'd expect it to go, right? Dude got booed. Dude got booed a ton. He got booed so much, it literally overshadowed a Jason Tatum 50-piece. Tatum went for 54. The Celtics get another huge dub, and the story this morning is still Kyrie. Because in the least surprising news ever, Boston fan still hates Kyrie. And they still love letting him know they hate Kyrie. Kyrie might be a part-time player, but the dude gets full-time hate. Like, I'm not sure how well-liked he is anywhere at this point. Really, at any given time. Even in his own locker room. But nobody hates this cat more than Boston. And he only spent two years as a Celtic. And in that time, he somehow managed to bank a lifetime supply of animosity, vitriol, and venom. This dude's got a golden ticket. A golden ticket to getting razzed by crazed New Englanders for the rest of his entire life. And when I say crazed New Englanders, I'm not messing around either. These people were in a full-on feeding frenzy from start to finish yesterday. They were foaming at the mouth. And Kyrie was the very blood in the water. Incredible. 25 assists, Doris, proves what you're talking about. 25 points on 40 field goals. 
31 seconds to go, and the lead swelling to seven. That chant was about Kyrie Irving. He's shaking his head, smiling. Those aren't just Kyrie sucks, Kyrie sucks chants. Those were really, really loud. Kyrie sucks, Kyrie sucks chants. Literally deafening. Kyrie sucks. Kyrie sucks chance. And not only that, that wasn't shortly after tip. That was in the final minute of the game. That's how much hate Celtics fan still had in their heart after an entire day of booing the ever-living crap out of this guy. They booed him in the player intros. They booed him every single time he touched the ball. And you would have thought that at some point they would have got weary. They would have got tired of it. They would have ran out of gas. Then again, if you think that, you don't know Celtics fan. Because Celtics fan still had the juice late in the fourth to rain down Kyrie sucks chance, Like a drunk, belligerent, SEC student section singing a fight song at the end of a football game. Those chants were actually so intense that Jason Tatum himself was actually trying to quiet the crowd. Like straight up pitying the dude after he absolutely worked Brooklyn. And in some way, I can actually see where he was coming from. Like I understand Boston, that you've got like a hate fetish. And, it, and as always, Boston, I'm not coming for you. I Believe it or not, I am Boston. Half my family is from Boston. All right, so I'm not some California guy coming for you. I am you. I'm 50% you. The Romes are from Boston. I'm an L.A. native, but my dad was from Boston. So that's not a me versus you thing. I am you. I'm just saying you have a hate fetish. And Kyrie is the perfect target. Because it's been nearly three years since he left. Yes, he stomped on the logo. Who the hell cares? Like, at some point, Celtics fan, you got to move on. You have to move on or it starts to look like he is, in fact, occupying rent-free living space in your head. I mean, I had that thought. But then I listened to Kyrie speak. And then he reminded everybody everywhere why Boston hates him so much. I mean, you got to give Kyrie credit for that, right? This guy can come out of any situation at all looking terrible. He has that talent, and he flexes that talent time and time again. This dude's just got no idea. He is so out of touch. Because after the game, when asked about all that vitriol, this is what he went with. No, no, I think it's going to be like that. Well, I know it's going to be like that for the rest of my career coming in here. So, you know, it's like the scoring girlfriend, you know, just wants an explanation on why I left, but still hoping for, you know, a text back. And I'm just like, yeah, it's fun while it lasted, you know, and I think uh, uh, that's the that's the relationship that makes it fun. <laughs> I mean, how many things are wrong with that? Besides all of it, it was fun while it lasted. For who? I don't remember anybody having any fun while that lasted. If I remember correctly, the Celtics actually had a better record in games that Kyrie missed versus games that Kyrie played in in Boston. You know, kind of like how the Nets are 5-11 and with Kyrie on the floor this year. Which is why nobody in Boston is looking for a, quote, text back. They don't miss you, Kyrie. They don't want you back. That's what all the booing was about. Nobody is looking for a text. Nobody is looking for an explanation. And nobody is looking for you to make anything right with them. Sometimes booing is just that. Sometimes booing just means we hate you. This would be one of those times. Because unlike the Nets, the Celtics are on a freaking heater right now. They're not thinking about old breakups. They're thinking about winning the East. They just ran off 21 dubs in their last 27, including 14 in their last 16. Three months ago, they were dead in the water. Three months ago, they were unwatchable. Now they're practically unstoppable. And their best player is out there doing some literal bird bleep. 
And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. Seriously, shout out to Jason Tatum. This dude just joined Larry Bird as the only Celtic to ever have four 50-point regular season games. If you count playoff games, dude already has two more 50-burgers than Bird ever had. Tatum and Boston are straight-up balling. The Nets are in a free fall. Yeah, I know. I know. They're not healthy. They don't have everybody. Let me tell you something about the Nets. They should be very thankful for the sorry-ass Lakers because without the purple and gold Titanic slowly sinking into the Pacific, everybody would be talking about what a disaster Brooklyn is. They've lost 17 of 20. They're now a game under 500. They were supposed to be the unstoppable team. They were supposed to be the best big three ever, the most dominant offense ever. They were supposed to rip off 70 wins. They were supposed to be the ones to win not one, not two, not three, but four chips. And right now, they're not even good. And Kyrie's all up in here talking about how, yeah, of course they're booing me. They want me. They miss me. Meantime, the Nets are betting the house on Ben Simmons. Yeah, maybe that works. Maybe that works, and maybe it doesn't. This much I know. Kyrie is a part-time player, and so far, Ben is a no-time player. At some point, Ben will come back, and then we'll find out whether or not he is a good fit, whether or not they will get as much out of him as they think they will. I just know this. It won't be in time for Thursday's game against the Sixers. But you think you saw some hate yesterday. Can you imagine if Ben took the floor against the Sixers? That would be the next stop on the hate train. Because according to Shams, quote, Ben Simmons will not play in Thursday's Nets 76ers, but is expected to make the return trip to Philadelphia and join the team on the bench inside Wells Fargo Center, sources say. Well, if he's there and they can see him, that hate train will be pulling out of the station and screaming down the tracks. It's all perfect, right? All the distraction, none of the production. That would be the Nets right now. It's like a traveling loser circus. Has there ever been a guy who thought that he was smarter than anybody who ever lived, but who might be the most out-of-touch, tone-deaf person on the planet than Kyrie? Dude literally thinks Celtic fan was booing their ass off out of respect and because they want the guy back so badly when in reality they were just booing for one reason dude they hate you and don't get it twisted Boston sports fan hates lots of things but right now nothing more than Kyrie Celtic fans would rather watch magic throw up that hook shot over Mikhail and Parrish in the 87 finals on a loop then see Kyrie have success in their building. But then again, my best advice, Celtic fan, like, I don't want to say how to live your life. But dudes, you can't go back, right? Never back, always forward. Never back, always forward. And you got over. You got the win. That bag has moved on, and you should too. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Taekwon Thornton is my guest. Taekwon, nice to have you on. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. 
Good. It's good to have you. Listen, I am fascinated by all things Combine. So let me ask you this. I had Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph on the show on Friday, and he was saying that when he went to the Combine a few years back, he thought that it was kind of like a one-day thing. You go there, then you go home. He said it was nothing like that. It was multiple days. They were long days. They were stressful days. He said it was not what he thought it was going to be. I'm curious, what was it like for you? What were your expectations, and how did the experience go for you? Oh, same for me. It wasn't what I expected it to be. It was very long days, get up early and stay up late. But um, what was really surprising to me is just how many interviews that go into it day in and day out, you know, just talking to speaking with different teams and um, just rotating and um, all the teams getting a feel for you, trying to get to know who you are as a person and as a player. So that was probably the most surprising part to me. That's pretty much what he said. That's almost exactly what he said. So what about that? Like when teams meet with you, and obviously they're going to want to ask you a lot of questions before they make a big investment in you, but then sometimes it just gets weird, right? They ask strange questions like, hey, are you a cat or are you a dog? Like did you get any yeah. questions <laughs> like that, and how did it go? Um, I really, I really didn't get any weird questions, you know, but it's all about just being yourself and being authentic, you know, um, answering the questions the best you could. But, um, throughout my little interviewing process, I don't think I got any crazy questions like that. So dude, are you a cat or a dog? Just kidding. Don't answer. Um, so like what, what, <laughs> what, did, what did you want them to know about you? Um, that I'm a great kid and, um, that I'm very, um, I'm willing to learn, you know, and um, I'm not at my best right now. I'm still learning to be better, you know, and I'm trying to become a complete receiver. Taquan Thornton is joining us. I'll tell you what they found out. They found out that you could run. They found out you were fast. Your unofficial time mm-hmm. was a 4-2-1, which would have set a new combine record. It was changed to 4 8 How did you feel about that run and about your time? Oh, man, I felt good. I felt good afterwards. Once I, I told one of my pals who was with me um, at – um, he is at the start of the 40 because I didn't know my time until I asked him to search me up on um, Twitter. Then I seen an unofficial time. Then I seen a camera following me. And for that, like, hour and the hour and 30, I had the record for the moment, you know what I mean? So um, it just felt it felt, it felt felt amazing at the point, you know, because I knew I was doing it for, for too low. It was expected, you know, but um, just seeing it out there, you know, and letting putting the world on notice, you know, that was a, kind of a great feeling. But um, by them changing the four two eight, you know, it's still four two, it's still fast or whatever. But um, you know, this is it, I said I, I wish I would ran it again because I thought I had the record. I wish I would have ran it again seeing the four two eight afterwards. Taekwon Thornton joining us. What do you think? Like, if you got a chance to run that again, could you go faster? How fast could you go? Oh, I can go like four one. You know, um, if you watch the clip. I stumbled on my first first steps. I stumbled, so I didn't have my cleanness get off, but I can go legit for a one. I was just watching it again, man. You were flying. You were flying. We were talking to Taekwon Thornton for one. Have you ever run have you ever run a four one? Yes, I ran some um weeks before the combine, you know, um on the stopwatch and on laser I ran like four two one before, so that's what I was expecting to run by four two one, but on stopwatch I got four ones in me. I got you. All right, so you mentioned at the very top, you said what I want teams to know is that I'm still getting better. I can become a complete receiver. Bucky Brooks is somebody who I really hold in really high regard. He said you're, quote, a really crafty route runner, and the thing that stood out to me when I watched him is his ability to create separation, end of quote. I mean, it's one thing to be really fast. It's one thing to run like that, but how much pride do you mm-hmm. take in your route running? Um, man, I take a lot of pride, man, just going back, watching some of the guys like, Devontae Adams, Amari Cooper, um, Stephon Diz, you know, Justin Jefferson, you know, it's all about creating separation in that, um, on, in the next level, you know, because a lot of people, are like everybody is big and fast and can run, you know, sideline to sideline. So now you got to take pride into your craft and um, being able to win your one-on-ones. And that's something that I take, um, that I'm trying to take advantage of, you know, just having the length and long arms and just putting it all together and, um, Taking taking my routes a little bit more seriously, trying to get better releases at the start of the line and at the top of the route, so it could be a whole lot easier. Because you know, a step or two is wide open in the NFL, so that's what I'm trying to do, day in and day out. Taekwon Thornton joining us, and you were a big part of the turnaround at Baylor over the last two years. The team won two games in 2020, finished ninth in the conference. Then this past season, you won 12 games, you won the conference title, and you finished number five in the AP poll. In your mind, what was the key to that huge turnaround? 
I'll just say um, we had a huge culture change. You know, we are, we had the um, 2020 COVID year. I feel like, you know, everybody was moving in different directions. You know, we didn't have, like, that unity due to COVID and everything, so everything was through Zoom. But um, this past offseason, we, we, we bonded as a team, as a unit, and um, the older guys, you know, led in the right way. You know, we got guys like Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, and myself and R.J. Sneed and the QBs, you know, and we all just got on the same boat. You know, we worked ourselves off this past offseason. Uh, we was ready to go to war, you know, mm-hmm. with whoever. So let me ask you this. If we were to go way back to when you were being recruited. You played your high school ball at Booker T. Washington High in Miami, and there were a lot of programs a lot closer to home than Baylor. What was it about Baylor that made you feel like that was the right place and that you wanted to go there? Um, I would say the culture. You know, um, during my recruiting process, when I took an official visit to Baylor, they, was, they went 1-0. I mean, they went 1-11 the year before. So it's like, dang, why would you want to go to a school that just lost all them games? And uh, but once I but once I um, stepped in a facility, you can just feel a culture change and like something special is going to be there, you know. And um, Baylor, you know, being in Waco, Texas, you know, me me being from Miami, I wanted to write my own story, you know. I wanted to set a, set a new trend, like, hey, you, all Florida guys don't have to go to school in Florida. So I just wanted to set a new trend for the younger guys. And, you know, just make my own way. But um, Baylor is a special place. You know, nice people, great weather, you know, and I feel like that was the best decision I ever made. I like that. I think that's cool. I think that's cool that that was your approach, that you want to do it. You want to do something different and do it your own way. So let me ask you this. There's always that debate about which state plays better high school ball and produces better players. You know, this Florida or Texas. (laughs) Now that you've played in Texas with a bunch of guys from Texas, how would you answer Uh, that? Do the guys in Texas play at your level or is there nothing really they can compete with Florida high school ball? You know, Florida, Florida ball going to be Florida ball at the end of the day. Um, you know, we, we, we got different type of caliber, caliber players down here. But after experiencing watching high school football in Texas, the only difference I would say is, you know, the stadiums and how packed their games get. You know, they playing in college stadiums, man. And the, the, the support system that they – some of the teams that they um, have out there, it's just crazy. It look like college games, you know. And um, so I just say Texas high school football is just bigger than Florida football. But I feel like overall we still have the better athletes. Hmm. Friday Night Lights. So let me ask you this. When you're playing high school ball, I'm guessing the NFL probably was on your mind, yet here you are, right? Now you're about a month away from that dream becoming a reality. So what's it feel like now? Um, it feels good, man. But just not just knowing that the job is not done, you know, there's still work to be done. You know, um, so i got to continue to do what I've been doing for my whole life, you know, just putting my head down and working, you know, so I could accomplish my goal. I'm going to ask you one more thing, Taekwon. You talked about the culture change. Like, when you got in the building at Baylor, you knew there was a different kind of culture, and you liked it. That was your second season under head coach Dave Aranda. What was he like to play for, and what did you learn from him during your time there? Um, so, Dave Aranda taught me how to be a pro. You know, he wasn't the type of guy that would just yell at you and be on your back about things that you're supposed to be doing. So, it kind of, you know, going from Matt Rule, the type of guy that was, very verbal about what he wanted, you know, and um, Dave Ronda, who was more, you know, calm and collective through situations, you know, you kind of learn how to be a pro and do your work on your own, you know, and um, be at your best. You know, he treats you like a pro. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Saw Alabama tackle Evan Neal show up. I thought that he was going to be the freakiest athlete in this year's draft class. I mean, not just at the Combine, but the freakiest single athlete in the draft class. I really did. However, I did not account for Jordan Davis. And that's because, really, there is no accounting for Jordan Davis. The laws of physics do not account for Jordan Davis. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I didn't know Jordan Davis. It's not that I forgot about Jordan Davis. 
it's impossible to forget about a guy who won a national championship as well as the Bednarik and Outland Trophy. But in a combine that had crazy speed and insane athleticism, nobody's speed to me was crazier and nobody's athleticism was more insane than Jordan Davis's. Just so you can appreciate what this guy did, let me give you his stats. He's listed at 6'6", 341. So this guy is taller than Rob Gronkowski. He's heavier than just about every player that you can think of. All right? Taller than Gronk and heavier than anybody. Like almost Vita Vea heavy. Then he goes out and he does this to the 40. Yeah, that's a big man moving. He is. That Four, is a big eight, man moving. Holy That holy. deserves a nice round of applause from the fans here. They just watched somebody pushing 340 run a 4.82. I mean, wow. NFL Network. Somebody pushing 340 ran a 4.82. Incredible. Except for one thing. It was officially clocked at 478. 341 going 478. That's not supposed to happen. That's supposed to be physically impossible. Like, I'm surprised there wasn't some sort of sonic boom halfway through that run. Can I see that one more time if you don't mind? Yeah, that's a big man moving. He is. That Four, is a big eight, man moving. Holy that holy. deserves a nice round of applause from the fans here. Like, like to me, that's mind-blowing. I keep watching it. I've been watching it all morning. It's hypnotic. It's mesmerizing. It's like insanity, really. 341 is not supposed to do that. 341 can't do that. You know what 341 does? 341 is supposed to occupy blockers. 341 is not supposed to run down backs from the backside. 341 is supposed to eat up offensive linemen so other guys can make plays. 341 is not supposed to have safety speed. If you're smart, you will draft Davis. If you're really smart, you will draft him and then put him at outside linebacker or in coverage or bring him on a safety blitz. Let this guy do anything and everything that he wants. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you another comparison point. Patrick Mahomes... Ran Mahomes? a 4-8 at the Combine. Mahomes. Mahomes? 4-8. Mahomes? Jordan Davis ran faster than Patrick Mahomes. And he did so while weighing nearly 120 pounds more. That's almost an extra person worth of weight. Jordan Davis is beating Patrick Mahomes in a foot race while carrying somebody on his back. When they put Jordan Davis side-by-side with Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston, he dusted them. Micah Parsons, one of the freakiest guys ever, saw that 40 and tweeted, quote, Jordan Davis, LOL, exclamation point, four of them, freak. Laugh out loud. Let me say this about that. Jordan's 40 was hotter than all that hot sauce that Parsons dropped on that slice for me on Radio Row. You see that 40 and you think, freak. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. This is exactly what went through my mind when I saw a guy that big moving that fast. I'm thinking, stop. Stop. Because trains can't. Remember, even if the engineer hits the emergency brake right away, it can take a train more than a mile to stop. Remember that. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. I've made that point before. Paid for by NHTSA. Actually, NHTSA, you can have that one for free. You're welcome, NHTSA. See, I I will bonus a good client like that. I'll work them into a take. You like that, NHTSA? It's free. That one is. Anyway, the point is this. You can't know how quickly 
The train will arrive. You see, Nitsa? There's another one for free. The train cannot stop quickly. There's another one, Nitsa. Even if it sees you, it can end in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. All of that was for free, Nitsa. You're welcome. Here's my point. The crazy thing is, unlike that train, and Davis is almost as big as that train, and almost as fast as that train, he can stop. He's got crazy agility. Jordan Davis is built like a freight train, only way more athletic. The train does not have lateral movement. The train cannot backpedal. The train cannot drop into coverage. My man is a meal shy of three and a half bills, and he's out there running like he's bleeping Carl Lewis. Imagine standing in the path of 341 going 478. How much would I have to pay you to get in the way of that? And then when you're in the way of that, how much would you pay to avoid that? I'll give you another comparison. His 10-yard split was faster than J.J. Watts was back in the day, and he outweighed J.J. by more than 50 pounds. How about this? His 10-yard split was better than Jarvis Landry's from back in the day. And Landry is a wide receiver. This guy's a defensive lineman, and he's out there running like a wide receiver. Like, I can't get my head wrapped around this. And I saw it. And it's not even the fact that he's got, like, sprinter speed. He's got hops, too. He had a 32-inch vert, and he still wasn't done. He had a broad jump of 10 feet, 3 inches. It's the longest broad jump of anybody over 300 pounds in nearly 20 years. And again, I'm not talking about a guy over 300 pounds. We're not talking about a guy going 304, 38, 310. This dude's 341. Even The Rock was tweeting about him. Quote, 4840 is fast. 4840 at 341 pounds is holy bleep fast. Great run, big man. Can't wait to see you wreak havoc. See, even you've got the rock at home watching the combine and reacting. And you know Davis loved that. That tweeted out about you. Very impressed after your performance here at the combine. None other than the rock. Can you smell? Shout out to the rock, man. You know, it's much love. I, I don't know what to say, man. It's honestly so surreal. It's all coming so fast. But, you know, this ain't the end. So we're only getting started. That size, that speed, that athleticism. My man's personality, like, how do I flip my crypto and buy stock in this behemoth instead? I'm still happy with my, uh, with the crypto, well, some of the crypto I have, and some of it I'm not. How do I flip it all and buy stock on this guy? And if I have a draft pick, regardless of how high it is and whether or not I have a need, I'm using it on this guy. A guy who goes 341 and runs 478. Like, I understand bigger, faster, stronger. I get that. I just don't get that big, that strong, and that fast because that's just not supposed to happen. And when it does, you do everything you can to bring that dude in regardless of cost, especially given the fact that this guy reportedly is as good off the field as he is on the field, as good in the locker room as he is on the field. So, while Jordan Davis had himself a weekend, do you know which Davis did not? Another big Davis. Big baby Davis. His third personal foul. Oh, these are seats? Yeah. yeah. All right. Huh? Is baby trying to sneak up a row? In his old house? Not a good look. Not a good look. The only thing worse then getting caught in a seat that's not yours is getting caught on national TV in a seat that's not yours. Oh, these are seats? Yeah. All right. In a house where you yourself played. 
Like, I admire the hustle, but come on, Glenn. Maybe if you're Paul Pierce. Maybe Ray Allen. But you're definitely not Larry Legend. The only thing worse than that would have been if he went with, you know who the hell I am. You know who the hell I am? You know who the hell I am? That's my seat. You know who the hell I am? You don't? Who the hell I am? I'm NBA champion Glenn Big Baby Davis. Did you not hear my famous Disneyland Kitty Rides rant? I'm going to Disneyland! I'm riding the Kitty Ride! Oh, well, why didn't you say so, Big Baby? The only thing these Big Davises have in common is Jordan can run a 4-7 at the Combine, and Glenn can eat four number seven supersized combos. Oh, these are seats? Yeah. Let me repeat right. that for you. My man's back. Chino in San Antonio. Chino, what's going on? Romy, dude, I just had to call in about Kyrie acting like Celts fans really just want their old girlfriend back. Hey, Kyrie, I'm pretty sure they were booing you because they lost that love and feeling, bro. But you know what? What if Kyrie's right? And Celtic fans really do think their ex is coming back. Trust me, Boston, she's gone. Whoa, this might be the shortest call I've ever made, Roman. In fact, I think I did it in a minute. The threat is not dead! <laughs> My man, rack him. Good night now! 